You are listening to Hit Play, Not Pause, a feisty menopause podcast for active, performance-minded women. I am your host, Celine Yeager. Each week, I bring you advice from athletes, scientists, researchers, and other experts to help you feel and perform your best, no matter what your hormones are doing. This show is a production of Live Feisty Media. Hello, strong, feisty women. So first, I want to say how amazing it was to meet so many of you in person at the Gone Graveling Festival in Arkansas last week. Or maybe it was two weeks ago by the time you hear this. It was such a special event, and being able to ride with you all and be together in that community was just amazing. There will definitely be more of those types of events in the future, and I look forward to meeting even more of you. Okay, so this week, I have a very special guest, Dr. Stacy Sims. Next week, May 17th, marks the release of our follow-up to Roar, Next Level, your guide to kicking ass, feeling great, and crushing goals through menopause and beyond. Anyone who follows or listens to us knows we have been talking a lot about this project for quite a long time. So I wanted to take this chance to sit down with Stacy and talk just a bit about how we got here, how this book came about, and what our hopes are for it going forward. Because in our minds, this book isn't really just words on a page, though there are a lot of those. It's a movement. It's doing for menopause what Roar did for menstruation, bringing it out of the shadows, shining a light on it, and having open conversations about working with your changing physiology at this time to optimize performance. Our biggest goal with Next Level is to say loudly and clearly, as the name indicates, menopause is not the end of the line. It's the next phase of your life. And it can be a place of real wisdom and real power. But for it to be a positive experience, you have to understand what menopause really is. What is happening during this time and how it is affecting literally every cell in your body. What Stacy does so beautifully is provide those insights. There's a whole chapter that goes behind the scenes with your sex hormones and talks all about the many, many, many roles that estrogen and progesterone play in everything from the strength of your muscle contractions to your connective tissue stability, to your brain health and mood states. When I started writing this with her, I was honestly blown away by that section because I had no idea. Even as a longtime health and fitness writer, and a woman, and a female athlete, I had no idea about any of this. And knowledge, as they say, is power. And we want this book to be part of creating an empowering culture for women in this stage of life, so they can keep stepping up the starting lines and trying new things and thriving in their lives. So I hope you enjoyed this conversation as much as I did. Before we get to it, I should mention, you can pre-order Next Level right now through our homepage at feistymenopause.com. And when you order it there, you'll get four free bonuses, including an adaptogen cheat sheet, a hormone cheat sheet, a guide to talking to your doctor or trainer about menopause, and a video presentation by Dr. Stacey Sims. While you're on the site, check out our Hit Replay Podcast Guide subscription And I want to thank everyone who has already subscribed so far. I'll put a clickable link to that in the show notes. 
And you can find us, as always, at Feisty Menopause on Instagram and Facebook. You can join our private Hit Play Not Pause Facebook group and take part in all of our conversations there. And if you like the show, please subscribe and share with your friends and on your social media channels. It helps others to find us. Finally, I just want to give a quick thank you to NutriSense for their continued sponsorship. I've had some questions about putting on and wearing a continuous glucose monitor, so stay tuned for a real video on that. Okay, let's hear about some of our awesome sponsors and get on with the show. For decades, running shoes have been researched, tested, and designed for men. Brands have relied on the shrink it and pink it approach to sell male shoes to female customers. That's why we are stoked to be working with Hedda's. Hedda's designs athletic footwear for women that elevates performance, safety, and style. Hedda's has unlocked the science behind women's biomechanics through dedicated research and creates better shoes for women's performance. Some of Hedda's special features include a lower ankle collar to reduce rubbing on women's ankle bones, a breathable mesh toe box to allow for ventilation and accommodate female toe shape, a more narrow and reductive heel cup to reduce heel slippage and take pressure off the Achilles, a rounded instep that creates a snug fit through the middle to match the curvature of a woman's foot and supercritical foam and a PBEX plate in the midsole to keep our legs going when the going gets tough. Hedda's has three shoe models designed for different sessions, the Alma Cruise for your long runs, the Alma Tempo for training days, and the Alma Speed for pushing the pace. I've been running in the Alma Tempos and they are a pleasure to train in. You can get your own pair of Hedda's at Hedda's.com and use the code FEISTY20, that's all caps, FEISTY20, for 20% off. Check it out today. We'll put a clickable link in the show notes to make it a snap. Musculoskeletal health is everything during menopause. Everyone knows how much I love Joint Health Plus from Prevenex, which has helped me get back to distance running after arthritic toes stopped me in my tracks. Now they have a product that has become my go-to for muscle strength and recovery, Muscle Health Plus. Muscle Health Plus contains all the key ingredients we talk about on this show, like creatine monohydrate, essential amino acids, and branched-chain amino acids, Plus, even more cutting-edge ingredients like HMB and estrogen that are scientifically shown to increase muscle growth, recovery, and strength. I use it every day during my early morning lifting sessions, and there's no question that it helps my power during those workouts and my recovery after. Plus, I love having everything I need from the best high-quality ingredients in one reasonably priced shake. I've also heard from fellow users who have had bloating or GI upset in the past from creatine that haven't had any of that with Muscle Health Plus. I make my shake with almond milk and espresso, but it's also good with ice cold water, which makes the flavor really pop. As always, you can get 15% off your first order with the code HIPPLAY, all caps, one word, at Previnex.com. That's HIPPLAY, all caps, one word, at Previnex.com. Do your muscles a favor and head on over and get some today. Good sleep. The one thing that sets you up for a great workout and a good day is quality sleep. We talk about it all the time here on the show, which is why I'm stoked to have Lagoon Sleep as a new sponsor. Because one of the most overlooked tools in a great sleep toolbox is the thing you literally rest your head on eight hours a night, your pillow. 
A quality pillow is everything. Otherwise, you end up tossing, turning, punching, and folding your pillow, waking up with neck pain, and all the stuff that happens when your pillow doesn't meet your personal comfort needs. Say hello to the most comfortable sleep you've ever had with Lagoon. They start you out with a two-minute personalized pillow quiz and then pair you with your perfect pillow. I got the Otter, a cooling adjustable pillow that is perfect for side sleepers who run warm at night like I do. It is a dream. It's fully adjustable, so I was able to get the perfect loft and support, and the cooling feature is everything. As someone who turned into a furnace every evening before menopause, I appreciate that the Otter is stuffed with shredded gel-infused memory foam, which instead of trapping heat from my neck and head, draws it away and dissipates it. It's truly delightful. I'm a good sleeper, and Otter's taken it to the next level with both support and cooling. Put my head down, good night, Irene. My aura ring confirms what little tossing and turning I was doing is gone. The beauty of the pillow quiz is you can get the perfect pillow that you need to and make your sleep the best sleep you can have. Go to lagoonsleep.com slash hit play and take the two minute quiz to find your perfect match. And then use the code hit play, all caps, one word for 15% off your first purchase. Sweet dreams. All right, Stacy, it's almost here. We almost have a book. <laughs> I know, I know. After how many years of waiting, but it's finally here. <laughs> it's it's been a journey. I um, you know, just for kicks, I went back. Uh, I keep, I keep like everything. I'm an email hoarder of sorts, you know, because I never know when I'm going to want that old work email. And I found our very first book correspondence. We had seen each other at the coaching summit. It was probably 2012. And you sent me an email on March 27th, 2013, saying that you've been thinking that you do want to write that book. And I replied in what might have been my understatement of the decade in, quote unquote, I think you have a great book in you, (laughs) which is so (laughs) funny to look back at. And that book, I had forgotten, had many incarnations, like when we first conceived it, when I first conceived it, like it was just going to be a straight up sports nutrition book, you know, which, Yeah. yeah. And, um, I had volleyed it around to various editors. You were developing Osmo at the time. And it was getting kind of like, you know, they were they were interested, but it was a little lukewarm. Like, okay, a sports nutrition book. Is that going to be like another sports nutrition book, right? And somewhere along the line, it became clear as, you know, I was out there working with you, peeing on sticks for Osmo. And, you know, you were talking and I was seeing the work coming out that that it just needed to be like we needed to go to ground zero and talk about like why women needed specific sports nutrition and training and thought and just thought in general, you know? And then in January, 2015, I sent you an email with a document titled roar and the book started to emerge. And I signed off on that email saying, I have a good feeling about this project. I think it could be really big. The editors gave us a contract in shortly thereafter. And in 2016, it came out. And I feel like that book honestly uh, started a movement that is still gaining momentum. And I'm curious, like what your thoughts are and what you think are the biggest changes you've seen since Roar has come out on your end? Oh, um, I felt a little bit removed because when it first came out, we just moved down to New Zealand. So I was like, oh, here are these books and no one really knew about it. No one had heard any of the stuff that I've been doing. Um, so I was kind of like still kind of trying to push, but then when I went to the outspoken summit 
and met Sarah and Ashley. And then they're like, hey, we read this book. It's great. It's getting traction. And I was like, oh, oh. And then I realized that all these people were talking about it. Um, and then starting to see more people saying women are not small men and asking about menstrual cycle. And then um, people wondering what to do when they're pregnant or in menopause and just really asking these questions and started to see it more and more in popular media. And then I was getting emails from um, freelancers who are writing for outside and for other places going, hey, this is really interesting. So I was like, oh, wow, people are starting to listen and, and it's really gaining traction. And it was just kind of snowballed from there. So started getting social media presence and then people really following in on that and asking more and more questions and just seeing this huge uptick. And now it's like everywhere. It's great. I love it. Not because of the book, but because of the movement of women trying to take ownership and empowerment and trying to understand their bodies and what they can do with it and how to feel better with everything that they're doing. Have you seen that trickle into the scientific realms and in, in women being studied more? Uh, it's, it's interesting because yes and no, I should say, yes, there's more, more awareness that women need to be studied and there's a lack of research. There is also methodological issues from previous research that people are like, oh, well, this wasn't done well, so we can't rely on it. And then there's new research that's coming out that is methodologically sound, but then it's only a small amount. So people are, well, maybe, maybe not. So we're still trying to make our way through it. And there is a, a large voice of a few amount of people that have a lot of sway in the industry that are saying, wait, there's no difference between menstrual cycle phases. There's no difference between OC because they're relying on systematic reviews. They're relying on a collaboration of research with poor methodology. But then there's a groundswell of people are like, wait, when you look at the new research that's coming out, and you see when we start applying these methods, there is change, there is differences, but the research isn't robust enough to create a systematic review to say, yes, there are definitive changes. So it's still emerging in the science world um, and there is awareness, but then again, you still have pushback. Like I was reviewing some papers maybe a month or so ago as a peer reviewer and they threw the women's data out because there was only three women out of 36 participants and they were like well we don't have enough to see if there are any differences we're just not going to use the women's data it's like that's not appropriate like you can collaborate that and and write a case series within your paper or you can pull it out and say there are trends or you can pull it out and say this is the three women and this is what we saw but you just don't exclude the data because it doesn't fit within your norm so in the short answer yes and no <laughs> <laughs> what what would you like to see happen um i would like everyone in the science world to get on the same page right i would like everyone to be like okay yeah we know that there's not a really good depth of research on women but let's see what happens when we look at women who are premenopausal not on oral contraceptive pill and let's see how they are in the field let's see how they are in the lab and answer these specific questions then let's look at women who are on oral contraceptive pill there are so many different formulations we know that they're different their bodies respond differently that's a different population let's study them and then, yeah, let's put some effort into studying peri and postmenopausal women who are not sick. So we need to have these at least three groups and people need to get behind it instead of still trying to mix 
contraception and and naturally cycling women to grow the in. Right, a hundred percent. Because, yeah, <laughs> that is just that that seems very obvious to me, and and I'm sure to you. But yeah, uh, yeah, I'd like to see that too. Yeah, and I I get emails and I get messages from people who are trying to create a, a, a scientific design. And they're like, well, what about women on the oral contraceptive pill? I'm like, well, you can't. If you're trying to answer this basic physiological question, you can't include women on OC. And they're like, but we need to get the numbers. It's like, well, you can't include them. But then they try to anyway, like on the placebo pill week. I'm like, it's still different. It's not it's the same. <laughs> not the same. So yeah, it's, it's a fight. But hopefully we'll get there speaking of getting there um we're getting there in 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 our in our work anyway uh we you know going back to roar there was a chapter on menopause because that book was really uh, a skimming of a woman's life right you know i mean not childhood of course but certainly you know from a time she hits womanhood through her life including pregnancy um and shortly after Roar came out, I was pretty much in the throes of perimenopause, but I didn't, I didn't even know it, you know, because I was training and racing super hard. And I sort of was chalking the anxiety and the night sweats and some of the stuff up to just who knows, you know, just training super hard and not like not adapting to it. I wasn't really sure what was happening, but I did start to hear at that same time that there were women who wanted more on, on menopause. And as I got later into my forties and my symptoms started to become more pronounced, I was like, mm, this could be a whole book. <laughs> you know, like I, I I'm down with that. And in, in March of 2019, we got that ball rolling and it was a very easy sell to the publishers at the time because roar is continues to be successful. Pandemic put a dent in our schedule, but here we are, it's going to roll out next week. And I, you know, I definitely feel, especially now that menopause is finally coming out of the shadows and just so much in the past year, even that we're on the cusp of another big movement. And I'm curious, you know, what is your biggest hope for this book? Oh, kind of like how we with Roar and conversation around Roar made it OK to say the word period and it be, it's becoming normalized. I want that to happen with perimenopause and menopause. I want people to understand what perimenopause is. I want people to understand all the things they can do before they actually hit that one point in time. I want doctors to even understand that menopause isn't the whole thing. It's that one point in time, right? It's that one day on the calendar and there are things that we can do without HRT, right? Mm -hmm, there are mm -hmm. lots of things that we can do to enhance our our lifestyle and our our quality of life through the menopause transition. So it's again, that education, that movement, and I want it to be normalized. I want it to be just be a conversation that people can have and not feel like they have to hide it. What's the one thing that you wish more menopausal women understood? Like what is maybe the biggest misconception you still see in people that you work with or train? that if they take hormones their body's going to go back to the way it was when they were in their 30s or their 20s and i say that because like i come from that long history of being at stanford and, and working in the women's health initiative and seeing some of the results of like late menopause where that study was designed to look at when you take women who have not had any hormones and put them back on what happens and when you see what 
those exogenous hormones do knowing that their molecular structure is not the same you don't have the same amount of estrogen receptors your body's less sensitive to it that when people go to the physician and they say hey i'm i'm having this change and i don't want to i don't want to here have these hormones but it's not the same thing your body doesn't respond to it the same way and i think there's that big huge misconception that it's a deficiency in hormones but it's not it's not a deficiency in hormones and we're not replacing hormones if we we need to it's a it's a therapy to get us through really bad sticky points as our body is transitioning to its natural state where we have ovarian failure but that doesn't mean we're deficient it just means our body's going through this aging change and we're not supposed to be reproducing but we still have estrogen, we still have progesterone, we still have testosterone at that lower amounts to keep our bodies doing what they need to be doing without reproducing. Yep, that was going to be one of my questions for you. And I'd like to really put an exclamation on point on that, because I'm hearing this everywhere emerging right now, that we should rebrand menopause as female hormone deficiency. And I find it extraordinarily unsettling. It sounds just to me, like feminine forever from 1966, where he said, literally, it, I quote, that menopause was an estrogen deficiency disease. And without estrogen replacement therapy, women would be living in an inevitable uh, living decay. They would face oh my an, God. those are the words, quote, unquote, <sighs> right. And I'm just I'm hearing echoes, though. I'm hearing echoes. I have heard very prominent doctors say the future is bleak. Use the word bleak without, Shit. yes, without HRT, still calling it HRT, not even hormone therapy, because a lot of organizations have gone away from even calling it hormone replacement therapy because yeah. it isn't a replacement. But I, I, you know, uh, I'm getting it left, right and center in my DMs. Like, what do you think of this? What do you think of this? And it's, it's very upsetting to me how it's permeating because because of what you just said, and also this connotation that a woman who does not take it is deficient forever, that she is somehow insufficient forever. When I talk to women on the podcast, Hit Play Not Pause, all the time, who are thriving without it. And how, like, you're going to tell me that, and we don't know. I also feel like I've seen this movie before where we find something and we're like, everybody should be on it. And we don't have like all the long-term data on the exact same things. And then in five or 10 years, you get other research that's like, oh, well, oops, you know, like that happens. I've seen it happen so many times, whether it be coffee or eggs, you know, benign things, but it's just, it's, it's really concerning to me, Stacey, like really concerning. I know me too, because I get those same questions and I even have people who are like, oh, I think I'll just extend my oral contraceptive pill so that I don't experience. I'm like, no, no, that's not the answer, right? We have to look at what happens within the body from a physiological perspective. Like when you're taking exogenous hormones, how it affects brain health, how it affects gut health, heart health, all of these things. It's not fear mongering, like the, the old idea of don't take HRT because you know, you're going to get dementia and breast cancer. It's not about that. It's about our bodies change, just like men's bodies change, but at a later age. Mm -hmm. And our receptors are different. 
what our body needs is different. And it, it scares me, like you, that people are just not asking questions, just going, yeah, okay. And I put it in the same category as like a 13 or 14 year old girl who goes to their GP and says, I have irregular periods, what do I do? And they get put on an oral contraceptive pill without really understanding how that affects the body. Yeah. And it's that blanket. And then when you hear it from a physician, you know, the ones that we have talked about <laughs> offline. I'm trying not to name, right? No, we don't talk about anybody offline, no. But <laughs> it scares me that they have a power position and people are just like, oh, oh, I have to do this. And it's frightening. I have very, like, very, very level-headed, healthy, active, vibrant women coming at me saying, well, maybe it'll be better. You know, I mean, that's because that's a reasonable thing to think, right? Yeah. Like that if you're being told that without this, you can't age well, then what's the, what is the end of that equation? You're like, well, I must take it because everybody wants to age well, but it it's just very concerning to me. Yeah, I agree. I mean, it's, I look at other cultures too, and there isn't really that push. Like there's a definitive pharmaceutical push in the States. Like you see it every night at like 6 p.m. news and every other ad is- Everything's kind of brought to you. Yeah. yeah. And other countries, they're not like that. They're not pushing the pharmaceuticals. And that's the other worries, like the States is just so pharmaceutical driven and you don't get an alternative view. So I'm hoping, fingers crossed that we can push more and get more education out there. And we don't have a view, which I think is important. And, you know, you have some graphs that are in the book next level on, there's not a really good view on the population that we are speaking to right now and are in their ears, which are very active women, right? Right. Exactly. Exactly. And when you look at women, premenopausal women who are super active, there's more of a plateauing of their hormones, which is why women can start to have menstrual, menstrual dysregulation and some amenorrhea. And they can come out of it out of at, when their training backs off, but the hormones are very sensitive to training. And so when you're looking at what's happening when women have been active their whole life and then they get into this perimenopause transition they don't have a significant change as women who are sedentary like there's not as much of a change so their whole systems aren't going to suffer as much yes you're going to have transitional symptoms but not as great a risk for cardiovascular disease not a greater risk for diabetes all the things that we read about with perimenopause which is why people are like oh i need hrt um, and when we start looking at what's happening in the active population, we know that there are different stressors we can put on the body that will allow the body to adapt as if those hormones were there. Right. But it takes work. It takes work. Well, and, and Dr. Carla DiGirolamo and I talked about this on the show that's out, but will already have been out when we, when we released this, that, you know, there's other ways into the cell, like, like the GLUT4 pathway, you know, yeah. for, for insulin and for blood glucose. Yeah. And um, that's where exercise comes in. Exactly, exactly. And if you're doing high intensity work, you have epigenetic changes so that that holds, it doesn't disappear, it increases the sensitivity. There's so many things that high intensity work and resistance training and all the stuff we talk about in the book do to help replace what those hormones used to do. So we aren't looking for like, support from a hormone standpoint, we're looking at how the body adapts to that stress. And then we get the same kind of results. 
Um, but it again, it takes work. It takes a mental shift. It takes the idea away from doing long, slow distance and all the things that we've been fed to believe are, are good for us. And I think that's another education component that people are like, oh, well, if I take menopause hormone therapy or HRT, whatever your doctor's calling it, then I don't really have to change what I'm doing. And that's another misstep. What research specifically would you like to see on this population as far as menopausal women and exercise performance? Oh, there are two big ones. And one I luckily get to do, which Ooh. I'm very excited. I know with tonal. <laughs> oh, with tonal. I'm excited. I know. <laughs> I know. So we do want to do and we are going to roll out a comparison of women who are not resistance trained at all. Right. So not comfortable with weights doing the traditional protocol of three times a week, 10 to 12 reps versus learning how to lift heavy with functional movement and seeing doing a crossover and seeing outcomes on body composition, um, biomarkers, um, blood lipids, all the things that people are looking for. Um, and then the other one I really want to do is look at sedentary women and then making them, well, not making them, but asking them to implement some high intensity work with adaptogens versus sedentary women doing the traditional 150 minutes of exercise a week and using hormone replacement therapy or menopause hormone therapy, and then having sedentary women as the control who don't take anything. What adaptogen specifically? <clears throat> Just a really um, available one. So we'd look at ashwagandha, we'd look at um, shishandra, and maybe throw in black cohosh because there's a lot of research on black cohosh of circling it in and out for um, vasomotor symptoms. Hmm. Right. That would be a fascinating study. Yeah. That would be a great one. So yeah, it's just trying to find the funding for it. <laughs> That's the biggest barrier, right? Is like it the is, funding. Yeah, it is. Yeah. But it would give some really good basic research that a GP could give to their sedentary person who's like, Hey, I don't I don't know what to do. Well, here are your options. We can do this kind of exercise. We can do this kind of exercise with these adaptogens that would be acceptable to the medical community because we see you know, a lot of peer review study on it. Um, and then knowing the existing research showing that the 150 minutes of activity doesn't do much and be like, well, it could maybe improve cardiovascular fitness, but it's not going to improve body composition. So I'm, I'm biased, so I shouldn't really run the study, but and there's money out there. There's mo I mean, there's a lot of money out there in the menopause space right now. I see like holy investment it, and it all tends to be in the pharmaceutical side as we're seeing, but man, I would love to see some of that trickle in. I know. So that's the problem. It's like in the sick population, let's do this research to see how we can possibly give you a drug to make you not sick. Whereas I'm always, no, let's look at the prevention. Let's look at exercise and nutrition interventions. I mean, I got accused, well, not accused, but I got pushback at Stanford going, well, you're not a real scientist because you want to do all the things that people need to do before they see me in the clinic. And I was like, well, because I don't want them to see you in the clinic. <laughs> I want them to be healthy so they don't have to come see the cardiovascular surgeon. So, yeah. That's, that's science too. I know it's real science. It's just not surgical science. <laughs> so I'm finally, I guess I'm wondering, you know, what you 
personally have learned during this time of your life? Is there anything that is, has been, have you had any aha moments yourself personally? Um, not particular aha, but have gotten a greater depth of understanding of how our culture approaches menopause, like looking from like movie stars and actresses and actors and how they age and the discrepancy between men and women and what's appropriate and how that plays forward into the scientific community, how that plays forward into the medical community and just understanding all the different layers and how we have to unpack that to get some good education out to women. Um, and understanding a lot of like I had a good understanding of adaptogens, but then when we start looking at them in comparison to what MHT can do and saying, hey, wait, no, there's this whole wide world of, of phytochemicals that we can use instead of the pharmaceutical agents and really trying to weave that into the education component. So I think those were the big platforms that I was able to dig deeper into to get a greater understanding of what we're up against. Yeah. Yeah. No, it, it's, it is interesting. I mean, I, on one hand, I'm, I'm kind of happy to see it coming out into the greater culture, but it is still, you know, sometimes it's still portrayed in a, a kind of a cartoonish way that bothers me, you know, I mean, the, the, what was the sex in the city reboot and just like that or something, I can't remember what. Oh yeah. Yeah. I can't remember the title either. You know, I mean, it, it came, it came in and out and it was so uh, cliche that it so like, well, we're not, we're still not, we're still not really there. You know, we're still not. No, there. no. I was reading in the guardian, which is the UK newspaper, um, how they are looking at giving menopause leave because women having so many hot flashes and mood changes. But I was like, why do you have to call it menopause leave? Like, yeah, okay. Now you're talking about menopause, but it would be better if you had education so that the employers and the line managers understood what women were going through instead of forcing them to take time off because they have to quote hide, right? I put it in the same category as, as all the shouting of you have to be a certain size and shrink down and hide, right? It's like, no, you don't. You want to be yourself you want to be able to be flourishing in your environment and when you have menopause leave you need to go home because you're having hot flashes it just puts it back in the dark ages again i'm I'm so glad you said that because every time i read about that i bristle and i've, I've been trying to put my finger on you know what it is about that that really bothers me and and i i landed on it reminds me a bit of fainting couches, like this idea. Oh, yeah. Do you know what I mean? That, and that's not really it either. Like I, like you, I appreciate the, the general idea and the general intent behind that, but it's not really it. Like it's not really right. Right. Exactly. It's like, oh, I don't know. Some of people who have access to mental health leave, but won't use it because of the stigma that comes with it. And I feel like if people are like, oh, well, here's menopause leave, then people won't use it because of the stigma. And there has to be a different word for it, or there has to be the acceptance of menopause in the workplace in order for there not to be a stigma. 100%. Your, your vision statement, which I love, I just, I looked up in your site and, and saw it and I wanted to share it because I'm curious what others can do to contribute to it. Your vision statement is that you would like to see a world of healthy women who understand their bodies, 
know how to work with their unique physiology, know their periods or ergogenic aids, and create positivity around being a woman in sport. And you say, together, we can shift the destructive narrative and elevate women in research, science, and sport. What can every woman listening to this right now do to help move this vision closer to reality? I think the first step is to understand their hormone profile. There's still so many women who don't. They think that like on an OC and they have a period and it's not, it's a withdrawal bleed, right? Or that they lose their period and they're training hard enough. So those, all those damaging narratives need to be removed and can be when people understand their own hormone profile and each, each person's lived experience and their hormone profile is going to be different and it can be different from month to month, but understanding that and understanding those nuances is so empowering because then you can talk to someone else because a lot of women don't even know what a normal bleed pattern is. You know, some people don't know what heavy menstrual bleeding is. They don't know what the bleed changes are when they're entering perimenopause. And so we don't have conversations about that either because a lot of women aren't empowered because they don't understand their own profile. And if you understand your own profile and you can see the changes, then it gives you more insight into if you really have a significant problem that you need to go see an endocrinologist, then you know what's been going on and you don't have to kind of guess when you're being asked questions or you kind of put it in the back burner, oh, everything's okay. So that's the first step is really understanding where you are, how your hormones are affecting you, what kind of patterns you see across the month and any changes. And then that can really start removing those taboos of, you know, I have a bleed when I'm on an OC, or I'm amenorrheic when I'm on an IUD, or um, I'm having really heavy bleeding, so something must be wrong instead of looking at like stress or you're entering perimenopause, so your bleed patterns are changing. Um, Because then it opens up more conversation. And the more conversation that opens up and becomes normalized, the more that we can push from puberty through to postmenopause with those conversations normalized. And do you advocate tracking for that? Yeah, but it doesn't have to be super fancy, right? You can use an app if, if that's how you are so inclined. You can put a note in your a personal note to yourself in your training peaks or on your Google calendar. It's just whatever works for you to be able to understand that. And if you have someone that a coach or someone that you need to share stuff with, then, you know, then that also gives you a platform to write personal notes and then they can see, and it makes those conversations easier yet again. So again, it's what works for you. Excellent. Well, I thank you for your time. I am very excited that this book is coming out and uh, I am, I'm stoked to help women take it to the next level. (laughs) I know. Me too. And I'm so glad that we're on this road together. Oh, thank you. It's been fun. Well, that's our show. Join me next week when I sit down with urogynecologist Dr. Kathleen Connell. We talk all about how menopause affects our vulva as well as our vagina and how sports like cycling impact those tissues, as well as special considerations for menopausal women, such as pelvic organ prolapse. I learned a ton on this one. So come on back for that. And until then, as always, stay feisty. You've been listening to Hit Play, Not Pause 
a feisty menopause podcast for active, performance-minded women. I'm your host, Celine Yeager. The show is edited and produced by the strong, talented, and amazing women at Live Feisty Media. Follow us on social media at Feisty Menopause, and please help us spread the word. Screenshot and share this episode on your social media channels with the tag at Feisty Menopause. Share the show with your friends, and please subscribe, like, review, and rate this show wherever you get your podcasts. Word of mouth and good reviews make it easier for other listeners to find. Thanks for listening, and as always, stay feisty. As a lifelong runner and cyclist, I am stoked to announce that Tifosi Optics has come on as a podcast sponsor. The beauty of Tifosi sports glasses is that they hit all the marks. They are shatterproof polycarbonate, so the lenses not only reduce glare, but also offer scratch resistance and complete eye protection. They stay put. They have little hydrophilic rubber nose pads that actually get more grippy the more you sweat, so they stay secure and don't slide down your face even when you're running in sauna-like conditions. No matter what sport you do, they have a shade for your activity, including tennis, fishing, pickleball, running, cycling, and just hanging out at the beach. And they are super reasonably well-priced, which is very hard to find in a sea of overpriced eyewear. And they just look freaking rad. So head on over to tifosioptics.com and use the code FM, capital F, and capital M, like Feisty Menopause, number 20, FM20, to get 20% off your order today. I'll put a clickable link in the show notes to make it a snap.